Chapter Seventeen, Part Two of Laddie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Laddie by Jean Stratton Porter. Chapter Seventeen, Part Two. In Faith Believing. I caught May's hand and ran to get away from them. Father and mother walked one on each side of Shelley, while with both hands she held her letters before her. When we reached the house, we just talked about them all the time. Pretty soon the boys were back. And then they told about sending the telegram. Leon vowed he gave the operator a dime extra to start that message with a shove so it would go faster. It will go all right, said Laddie, and how it will go won't be a circumstance to the way he'll come. If there's anything we ought to do before he gets here, we should hustle. Chicago isn't a thousand miles away. That message can reach him by two o'clock. It's probable he has got ready while he was waiting, so he will start on the first train our way. He could reach Groveville on the ten tomorrow. We better meet it. Yes, we'll meet it, said mother. Is the carriage perfectly clean? Father said, It must be gone over. Our general manager here ordered me to speed up, and we drove a little coming from town. Mother went to planning what else should be done. Don't do anything, cried Shelley. The house is all right. There's no need to work and worry into a sweat. He won't notice or care how things look. I miss my guess if he doesn't notice and care very much indeed, said mother emphatically. Men are not blind. No one need think they don't see when things are not as they should be, just because they're not caddish enough to let you know it, like a woman always does. Shelley, wouldn't you like to ride over and spend the afternoon with the princess? Nope, said Shelley. It's her turn to come to see me. Besides, you don't get me out of the way like that. I know what you'll do here, and I intend to help. Do you need one of the boys at the house? asked father. And if you'll believe it, both of them wanted to stay. Father said he must have one to help wash the carriage and do a little fixing around the barn, so he took Leon, but he didn't like to go. He said, I don't see what all this fuss is about anyway. Probably he'll be another Peter. Shelley looked at him. Oh, Mr. Paget isn't nearly so large as Peter, she said, and his hair is whiter than yours, while his eyes are not so blue. Saints preserve us, cried Leon. Come on, father, let's only dust the carriage. He's not worth washing it for. Is he like that? asked mother anxiously. Wait and see, said Shelley. Looks don't make a man. He has proved what he can do. Then all of us went to work. Before night, we were hunting over the yard and beside the road to see if we could find anything to pick up. Six chickens were in the cellar. Father was to bring meat and a long list of groceries from town in the morning. He was to start early, get them before train time, put them under the back seat, and take them out after he drove into the lane when he came back. That made a little more trouble for father, but there was not the slightest necessity for making Mr. Paget feel that he had ridden in a delivery wagon. Next morning I wakened laughing softly, because someone was fussing with my hair, patting my face, and kissing me. So I put up my arms, and pulled that loving person down on my pillow, and gave back little half-asleep kisses, and slept on. But it was Shelley, and she gently shook me, and began repeating that fool old thing I have been waked up with half the mornings of my life. Get up, little sister, the morning is bright, the birds are all singing to welcome the light. Get up, for when all things are merry and glad, good children should never be lazy and sad. For God gives us daylight, dear sister, that we may rejoice like the lark and work like the bee. 
Usually I'd have gone on sleeping, but Shelley was so sweet and lovely, and she kissed me so hard, that I remembered it was going to be a most exciting day. So I came to quick as snap and jumped right up, for I didn't want to miss a single thing that might happen. The carriage was shining when it came to the gate. So was father. I thought there was going to be a vacant seat beside him, and I asked if I might go along. He said, Yes, if mother says so. He always would stick that in. So I ran to ask her, and she didn't care, if Shelley made no objections. I was just starting to find her, when here she came, all shining too, but Laddie was with her. I hadn't known that he was going, and I was so disappointed I couldn't help crying. "'What's the matter?' asked Shelley. "'Father and mother both said I might go, if you didn't care.' "'Why, I'm dreadfully sorry,' said Shelley, "'but I have several things I want Laddie to do for me.' Laddie stooped down to kiss me good-bye, and he said, "'Don't cry, little sister. The way to be happy is to be good.' Then they drove to Groveville, and we had to wait. But there was so much to do, it made us fly to get all of it finished. So mother sent Leon after Mrs. Freshett to help in the kitchen, while Candace wore her white dress and waited on the table. Mother cut flowers for the dining table and all through the house. She left the blinds down to keep the rooms cool, chilled buttermilk to drink, and if she didn't think of every single least little thing, I couldn't see what it was. Then all of us put on our best dresses. Mother looked as glad and sweet as any girl when she sat to rest a little while. I didn't dare climb to Kaltapa in my white dress, so I watched from the horse block, and when I saw the greys come over the top of the hill, I ran to tell. As mother went to the gate, she told May and me to walk behind, to stay back until we were spoken to, and then to keep our heads level and remember our manners. I don't know where Leon went. He said he lost all interest when he found there was to be another weak-eyed towhead in the family. And I guess he was in earnest about it, because he wasn't even curious enough to be at the gate when Mr. Paget came. Father stopped with a flourish. Laddie hurried around and helped Shelley, and then Mr. Paget stepped down. Goodness gracious, sakes alive! Little? Towhead? He was taller than Laddie. His hair was most as black as ink and wavy. His eyes were big and dark. He was broad and strong, and there was the cleanest, freshest look about him. He put his arms spang around Shelley, right there in the road, and Mother said, "'Hold there, not so fast, young man. I haven't given my consent to that.' He laughed, and he said, "'Yes, but you are going to.' And he put his other arm around Mother, so May and I crowded up, and we had a family reunion right between the day-lilies and the snowball bush. We went into the house, and he liked us. His room and everything went exactly right. He was crazy about the cold buttermilk, and while he was drinking it, Leon walked into the dining-room, because he thought of course Mr. Paget and Shelley would be on the Davenport in the parlor. When he saw Robert, he said low-like to Shelley, "'Didn't Mr. Paget come? Who's that?' Shelley looked so funny for a minute, then she remembered what she had told him, and she just laughed as she said, "'Mr. Paget, this is my brother.' Robert went to shake hands, and Leon said right to his teeth, "'Well, a divil of a towhead you are.' "'Towhead?' said Robert, bewildered-like. "'Shelley said you were a little bit of a man, with watery blue eyes and whiter hair than mine.' "'Oh, I say,' cried Robert, "'she must have been stringin' you.' 
Leon just whooped, because while Mr. Paget didn't talk like the Orse Ouse people, he made you think of them in the way he said things, and the sound of his voice. Then we had dinner, and I don't remember that we ever had quite such a feast before. Mother had put on every single flourish she knew. She used her very best dishes, and linen, and no cook anywhere could beat Candace alone. Now she had Mrs. Freshett to help her, and Mother also. If she tried to show Mr. Paget, she did it. No visitor was there except him. But we must have been at the table two hours talking, and eating from one dish after another. Candace liked to wear her white dress and carry things around, and they certainly were good. And talk! Father, Laddie, and Robert talked over all creation. Every once in a while, when Mother saw an opening, she put in her paddle, and no one could be quicker, when she watched sharp and was trying to make a good impression. Shelley was very quiet. She scarcely spoke or touched that delicious food. Once the Paget man turned to her, looking at her so fond like, as he picked up one of her sauce dishes and her spoon and wanted to feed her. And he said, Here, child, eat your dinner. You have nothing to be fussed over. I mean to propose to you and your parents before night. That is what I am here for. Everyone laughed so. Shelley never got the bite. But after that, she perked up more and ate a little by herself. At last, father couldn't stand it any longer. So he began asking Robert about his trip to England and the case he had won. When the table was cleared for dessert, Mr. Paget asked mother to have Candace to bring his satchel. He opened it and spread papers all over, so that father and Laddie could see the evidence while he told them how it was. It seemed there was a law in England. All of us knew about it, because father often had explained it. This law said that a man who had lots of money and land must leave almost all of it to his eldest son, and the younger ones must go into law, the army, be clergymen, or enter trade and earn a living, while the eldest kept up the home place. Then he left it to his eldest son, and his other boys had to work for a living. It kept the big estates together. But my, it was hard on the younger sons, and no one seemed even to think about the daughters. I never heard them mentioned. Now there was a very rich man. He had only two sons, and each of them married and had one son. The younger son died and sent his boy for his elder brother to take care of. He pretended to be good, but for sure he was bad as ever he could be. He knew that if his cousin were out of the way, all that land and money would be his when his uncle died. So he went to work, and he tried for years, and a lawyer man who had no conscience at all helped him. At last, when they had done everything they could think of, they took a lot of money and put it in the pocket of the son they wanted to ruin. Then, when his father missed the money, and the house was filled with policemen, detectives, and neighbors, the bad man said he'd feel more comfortable to have the family search too, merely as a formality. So he stepped out and was gone over. And when the son's turn came, there was the money on him. That made him a public disgrace to his family, and a criminal who couldn't inherit the estate. And his father went raving mad and tried to kill him, so he had to run away. At first he didn't care what he did, so he came over here. Robert said that man was his best friend, and as men went, he was a decent fellow, so he cheered him up all he could, and went to work with all his might to prove he was innocent, and to get back his family and his money for him. When Robert had enough evidence that he was almost ready to start to England, 
His man got a cable from an old friend of his father's, who always had believed in him, and it said that the bad man was dying to come quick. So Robert went all of a sudden, like the dead letters told about. Now he described how he reached there, took the old friend of the father of his friend with him, and other witnesses, and all the evidence he had, and went to see the sick man. When Robert showed him what he could prove, the bad man said it was no use, he had to die in a few days, so he might as well go with a clean conscience. And he told about everything he had done. Robert had it all written out, signed, and sworn to. He told about all of it, and then he said to father, Have I made it clear to you? Leon was so excited, he forgot all the manners he ever had, for he popped up before father could open his head, and cried, Clear as mud! I got that sun business so plain in my mind, I'd know the party of the first part from the party of the second part, if I met him promenading on the stone wall of China. Father and Laddie knew so much law, they asked dozens of questions. But that Robert man wasn't a smidgen behind. For every clip he had the answer ready, and then he could go on, and tell much more than he had been asked. He said as a case it was a pretty thing to work on, but it was much more than a case to him, because he always had known that his friend was not guilty, that he was separated from his family, suffering terribly under the disgrace, and they must be also. He had worked for life for his friend, because the whole thing meant so much to both of them. He said he must go back soon, and finish up a little more, that he should have done while he was there, if it hadn't been that he received no word from Shelley. When I didn't hear from her for so long, and wrote so many letters, and had no reply, I thought possibly some gay young Lochinvaugh had come out from the west, and taken my sweetheart, he said, and while I had my armor on, I made up my mind that I'd give him a fight too. I didn't propose to lose Shelley, if it were in my power to win her. I hadn't been able to say to her exactly what I desired, on account of getting a start alone in this country, but if I won this case, I would have ample means. When I secured the required evidence, I couldn't wait to finish, so I came straight over to make sure of her. He arose, and handed the satchel to father. I notice you have a very good-looking gun convenient, he said. Would you put these papers, where you consider them safe, until I'm ready to return? Our home, our living, and the honor of a man are there, and we are mighty particular about that bag, are we not, Shelley? Well, I should think we are, cried Shelley. For goodness sake, father, hang to it. Is the man still living? Could you get that evidence over again? He was alive when I left, but the doctor said ten days would be his limit, so he may be gone before this. Father picked up the satchel, set it on his knees, and stroked it as if it were alive. Well, well, he said, now would any one think such a little thing could contain so much? Shelley leaned toward Robert. Your friend, she cried. Your friend, what did he say to you? What did he do? Well, for a time he was wildly happy over having the stain removed from his Anna, and knowing that he would have his family and foughten back. But there is an extremely sad feature to his case that is not yet settled, so he must keep his head level until we work that out. Now about that hoss you wanted to show me. He turned to Leon. Mother gave the signal, and we left the table. Father carried the satchel to his chest, made room for it, locked it in, and put the key in his pocket. Then our men started to the barn, to show the Arab Kentucky horse. 
Mr. Paget went to Shelley, and took her in his arms, exactly like Peter did Sally, before the parlor door that time when I got into trouble. And he looked at Mother, and laughed as he said, I hope you will excuse me, but I've been having a very nasty, anxious time, and I can't conform to the rules for a few days, until I become accustomed to the fact that Shelley is not lost to me. It was beastly when I reached Chicago, had back all my letters, and found she had gone home ill. I've much suffering to recompense. I'll atone for a small portion immediately. He lifted Shelley right off the floor. That's how big and strong he was. He hugged her tight. and kissed her forehead, cheeks, and eyes. When I've gone through the formality of asking your parents for you, and they have said a gracious yes, I will put the first one on your lips, he said, setting her down carefully. In the meantime, you be fixing your mouth to say yes, also, when I propose to you, because it's coming before you sleep. Shelley was like a peach blossom. She reached up and touched his cheek, while she looked at Mother, all smiling and sparkling, as she said, You see? Mother smiled back. I do indeed, she answered. Leon pulled Mr. Paget's sleeve. Aw, quit lally gaggin' and come see a real horse, he said. Robert put his other arm around Leon, drew him to his side, and hugged him as if he were a girl. I'm so glad Shelley has a lodge family, he said. Big families are jolly. I'm so proud of all the brothers I'm going to have. I was the only boy at home. You haven't told us about your family, said Mother. No, said Robert, but I intend to. I have a family, one of the finest on earth. We'll talk about them after this hoss is inspected. He let Shelley go and walked away, his arm still around Leon. Shelley ran to Mother, and both of them sobbed out loud. Now you see how it was, she said. You poor child, cried Mother. Indeed, I do see how it was. You've been a brave girl, a good, brave girl. Father and I are mighty proud of you. Oh, mother, I thought you were ashamed of me, sobbed Shelley. Oh, my child, said mother, quavery like. Oh, my child, you surely see that none of us could understand, as we do now. She patted Shelley, and told her to run upstairs and lie down for a while, because she was afraid she would be sick. We mustn't have a pale, tired girl right now, said mother. Well, said Shelley, but she just stood there holding mother. Well, said mother, gripping her. You see, said Shelley. Child, said mother, I do see. I see six feet of as handsome manhood as I ever have seen anywhere. His manner is perfect, and I find his speech most attractive. I am delighted with him. I do see indeed. Your father is quite as proud and pleased as I am. Now go to bed. Shelley held up her lips and then went. I ran to the barn, where the men were standing in the shade, while Leon led his horse up and down before them, told about its pedigree, its record, how he came to have it. The Paget man stood there looking and listening gravely, as he studied the horse. At last he went over her, and gee, but he knew horse. Then Laddie brought out Floss, and they talked all about her, and then went into the barn. Father opened the east doors to show how much land he had, which were his lines, and while the world didn't look quite so pretty as it had in May, still it was good enough. Then they went into the orchard, sat under the trees, and began talking about business conditions. That was so dry, I went back to the house, and maybe I didn't strike something interesting there. 
As I came up the orchard path to a backyard gate, I saw a carriage at the hitching rack in front of the house, so I took a peep and almost fell over. It was the one the princess had come to Sally's wedding in, so I knew she was in the house visiting Shelley. I went to the parlor, and there I had another shock, for lo and behold, in our big rocking chair, and looking as well as any one, so far as you could see, of course you can't see heart trouble though, sat Mrs. Pryor. The princess and mother were there, all of them talking, laughing, and having the best time, while on the Davenport enjoying himself as much as any one was Mr. Pryor. They talked about everything, and it was easy to see that the Pryor door was open so far as we were concerned, anyway. Mrs. Pryor was just as nice and friendly as she could be, and so was he. Shelley sat beside him, and he pinched her cheek and said, Something seems to make you especially brilliant today, young woman. Shelley flushed redder, laughed, and glanced at mother. So she said, Shelley is having a plain, old-fashioned case of beau. She met a young man in Chicago last fall, and he's here now to ask our consent. All of us are quite charmed with him. That's why she's so happy. Then the princess sprang up and kissed Shelley. So did Mrs. Pryor. While such a chatter you never heard. No one could repeat what they said, for as many as three talked at the same time. Oh, do let's have a double wedding, cried the princess, when the excitement was over a little. I think it would be great fun. Do let's. When are you planning for? Nothing is settled yet, said Shelley. We've had no time to talk. Mercy, cried the princess. Go make your arrangements quickly. Hurry up, then come over, and we'll plan for the same time. It will be splendid. Don't you think that would be fine, Mrs. Stanton? I can't see any objections to it, said Mother. Where is your young man? I'm crazy to see him, cried the princess. If you have gone and found a better-looking one than mine, I'll never speak to you again. She hasn't, cried Mrs. Pryor calmly, like that settled it. I like her. They're not made. I am not so sure of that, said Shelley. Mother, isn't my man quite as good-looking, and as nice in every way, as Laddie? Fully as handsome, and so far as can be seen, in such a short time, quite as fine, said Mother. I was perfectly amazed at her, as if any man could be. I don't believe it, I won't stand it, and I shan't go home until I have seen for myself, cried the princess, laughing, and yet it sounded as if she were half provoked, and I knew I was. The pageant man was all right, but I wasn't going to lose my head over him. Laddie was the finest, of course. Well, he's somewhere on the place with our men this minute, said Shelley, but you stay for supper and meet him. When you haven't your arrangements made yet, you surely are unselfish. Of course I won't do that, but I'd love to have one little peep. Then you bring him and come over tomorrow, so all of us can become acquainted. And indeed, I'm really in earnest about a double wedding. Go see where the men are, said Shelley to me. I went to the back door, and their heads were bobbing far down in the orchard. They're under the greening apple tree, I reported. If you will excuse us, said Shelley to Mr. and Mrs. Pryor, we'll walk down a few minutes and prove that I'm right. Don't stay, said Mrs. Pryor. This trip is so unusual for me that I'm quite tired. For a first venture in such a long time, I think I've done well. But now I'm beginning to feel I should go home. Go straight along, said the princess. I'll walk across the fields, or Thomas can come back after me. 
So Mr. and Mrs. Pryor went away, while the princess, Shelley, May, and I walked through the orchard toward the men. They were standing on the top of the hill, looking over the meadow, and talking with such interest they didn't hear us or turn until Shelley said, Mr. Paget, I want to present you to Laddie's betrothed, Miss Pamela Pryor. He swung around, finishing what he was saying as he turned. The princess took a swift step toward him. Then, at the same time, both of them changed to solid tombstone and stood staring, and so did all of us, while no one made a sound. At last, the pageant man drew a deep, quivery breath and sort of shook himself as he gazed at her. Why, Pam, he cried, darling Pam, can it possibly be you? If you ever heard the scream of a rabbit when the knives of a reaper cut it to death, why, that's exactly the way she cried out. She covered her eyes with her hands. He drew back and smiled. The red rushed into his face, and he began to be alive again. Laddie went to the princess and took her hands. What does this mean? he begged. She pulled away from him and went to the pageant man slowly, her big eyes wild and strained. Robert! she cried. Robert, how did you get here? Were you hunting us? All over England, yes, he said. Not here. I came here to see Shelley. But you, how do you happen to be in this country? We've lived on adjoining land for two years. You moved here to escape the pity of our friends? Father moved. Mother and I had no means and no refuge. We were forced. We never believed it. Oh, Robert, we never, not for a minute. Oh, Robert, say you never did it. Try our charming cousin Emmett, your next guess. That devil! Oh, that devil! She cried out that hurt way again, so he took her tight in his arms. But sure as ever Laddie was my brother, he was hers, so that was all right. When they were together, you wondered why in this world you hadn't thought of it the instant you saw him alone. They were like as two peas. They talked exactly the same, only he sounded much more so, probably from having just been in England for weeks, while in two years she had grown a little as we were. We gazed at them, open mouthed, like as not, and no one said a word. At last, Mr. Paget looked over the princess's shoulder at father and said, I can't explain this, Mr. Stanton, in a very few words. I am my friend. The case was my own. The evidence I secured was for myself. This is my only sister. Her people are mine. The relationship is apparent, said father. There is a striking likeness between you and your sister, and I can discern traces of your parents in your face, speech, and manner. If you know my father, said Robert, then you understand what happened to me when I was found with his money on my person, in the presence of our best friends and the police. He went raving insane on the instant, and he would have killed me if he hadn't been prevented. He tried to. Has he changed any since, Pam? The princess was clinging to him with both hands, staring at him, wonder, joy, and fear, all on her lovely face. Worse, she cried, he's much worse. The longer he broods, the more mother grieves, the bitterer he becomes. Mr. Stanton, he is always armed, he'll shoot on sight. Oh, what shall we do? Miss Pamela, said Leon, did your man Thomas know your brother in England? All his life. Well, then, we'd better be doing something quick. He tied the horses and was walking up and down the road while he waited, and he saw us plainly when we crossed the woodyard a while ago. He followed us and stared so. I couldn't help noticing him. 
"'Jove!' cried Robert. "'I must have seen him in the village this morning. "'A man reminded me of him. "'Then I remembered how like people of his type are, "'and concluded I was mistaken. "'Mr. Stanton, you have agreed that the evidence I hold is sufficient. "'Pam can tell you that while I don't deny being full of tricks as a boy, "'they were not dirty, not low, "'and while father, always taking Emmett's pot against me, "'drove me to recklessness sometimes. "'I never did anything underhand or disgraceful.' She knows what provocation I had, and exactly what happened. Let her tell you. I don't feel that I require any further information, said Father. You see, I happen to be fairly well acquainted with Mr. Pryor. Pryor? He made us use that name here, explained the Princess. Well, his name is Paget, said Robert angrily. Laddie told me long ago he didn't believe it was Pryor. Then, if you are acquainted with my father— what would you counsel? Unless I'm prepared to furnish the central figure of interest in a funeral, I dare not meet him, until he has seen this evidence, had time to digest it, and calm himself. Shelley caught him by the arm. No wonder, she hadn't been proposed to, or even had a kiss on her lips. She pulled him. You come straight to the house, she said. Thomas may tell your father he thought he saw you. That was about as serious as anything could be. But nothing ever stopped Leon. He sidled away from father, repeating in a low voice, For sore dismayed, through storm and shade, His child he did discover. One lovely hand she stretched for aid, And one was round her lover. Shelley just looked daggers at him, But she was too anxious to waste any time. Would Thomas tell your father? She asked the princess. The instant he saw him alone, yes, He wouldn't before mother. "'Hold one minute,' cried father. "'We must think of our mother, just a little. "'Shelley, you and the girls run up and explain how this is. "'Better all of you go to the house, except Mr. Paget. "'He'll be safe here as anywhere. "'Mr. Pryor will stop there if he comes. "'So it would be best for you to keep out of sight, Robert, "'until I have had a little talk with him. "'I'll stay here,' I offered. "'We'll talk until you get Mr. Pryor cooled off. "'He can be awful ragesome when he's excited.' "'and it doesn't take much to start him.' "'You're right about that,' agreed Robert. "'So we sat under the greening, and were having a fine visit, "'while the others went to break the news gently to Mother, "'that the prior mystery had gone up higher than Gilderoy's kite. "'My, but she'd be glad. "'It would save her many a powerful prayer. "'I was telling Robert all about the time his father visited us, "'and what my mother said to him. "'And he said, "'She'd be the one to talk with him now. "'Possibly he'd listen to her.' until he got it through his head that his own son is not a common thief. Maybe he'll have to be held, like taking quinine, and made to listen, I said. That would be easy if he were not a walking arsenal, said Robert. You have small chance to reason with a half-crazy man while he is handling a pistol. He meant revolver. But he'll shoot, I cried. The princess said he'd shoot. So he will, said Robert. Shoot first, then find out how things are, and kill himself and everyone else with remorse afterward. He is made that way. Then he doesn't dare see you until he finds out how mistaken he has been, I said, for I was growing to like Robert better every minute longer I knew him. Besides, there was the princess, looking like him as possible, and loving him, of course, like I did Laddie, maybe. And if anything could cure Mrs. Pryor's heart trouble, having her son back would, because that was what made it in the first place, and even before them, 
there was Shelley to be thought of and cared for. End of chapter 17